Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast from September 21st, 2020. Uh, this is episode 38, and I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And yeah, after, well, quite a while of silence, uh, it's actually the last day of my parental leave. And yeah, we, we, we take the time to record another podcast with some interesting topics talking about my commercial drone license I finally finished to make. Um, the big topic of, yeah, I think, the last days, uh, Future 360 nerfs the free license, or are they? Um, E3D tool changer, ASMBL, additive, subtractive, manufacturing by layer. Uh, is this a technology we should look for and what can we actually make with it? And five axis, or is it actually six axis 3D printing um, researchers? basically um, developed an algorithm that calculates printing paths from finite element analysis models that the layers are oriented in a way that they improve the strength of your parts. And they're actually claiming 6.35 increase. But is this really something that uh, that can be true? And on the topic of weird geometries for 3D printers, um, belt printers are making a, not a comeback, but it looks like they're becoming more and more popular. So we look at two or three different approaches of how those type of machines are, you know, coming into the market right now. Before we move into questions today, we have a few extra bits, a few behind the scenes, um, more on those when we get to those. And yeah, for questions, how do you make your parts feel professional? And is Stratasys still relevant today? Ah, last podcast before we bring Gina onto the show. Ah, yes. <laughs> really looking forward to have um, a guest on the podcast and uh, just, yeah, just to see if we can, well, talk about some some interesting things with uh, yeah, people from the community. Yeah, um, I mean, we've, we've had a few guests on the podcast in the early days, but uh, that kind of went away and it was just us two but it's nice yeah. to, to bring some fresh new brain power onto the show <laughs> and and i gina i think i think most people underestimate her um <laughs> yeah she she's definitely going to be fun on the podcast um so that's going to be next time but yeah gina the creator of octoprint is probably going to be in the next obviously. podcast because i don't know if everyone knows who gina is <laughs> Right, yeah, people, <laughs> people are always surprised. What, you're not a dude? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the feedback that, that I'm hearing a lot of. Yeah, but how, how have you been holding up? It's been a while since we did the last, uh, last podcast. Yeah, I think it has been four weeks. I don't know. Uh, I have been and I'm still on parental leave. It's actually my last day of parental leave for two months. I had a ton of plans. But I don't know, having a baby and doing renovations at home and stuff like that just kept me busier than I thought and busier than I was hoping. Just because, I don't know, I want to do more videos and stuff like that. But in the end, I just ended up doing like one a month or something like that, which is, it's, it's less than I, than I did before. But I don't know if 
things are getting back to kind of normal. We'll see. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't it always like that where you, you make grand plans and then, you know, this thing takes a bit long and that thing takes a bit long and all of a sudden it's like, oh, where did my two months go? Yeah. 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 At least one of the things I, I finally did is... Uh, and I have been postponing that for, I think, four or five months, is uh, making my uh, commercial drone license. So you've, you've, not, you've now done that. You've not been, you know, in the middle of doing that. It's... it's so in Germany, the regulations are if you want to use your drone, which is basically anything that, that has a camera on it and where you use it for a commercial purpose, you need to have a drone license, a commercial drone license. And that usually involves um, at least a day of training. So uh, mostly theoretical about um, air, how's it called? Uh, just aerospace air, regulations. Aerospace yeah. regulations, metrology, and just like general usage and navigation and stuff like that of, of a drone. Um, which is not too bad, but you still need to learn a little bit for it. It's it's not as as hard as doing your your driving license, but still okay. it's not as easy as just okay. I gonna do that without any preparation. I was postponing that for ages, and I think like four weeks ago or something like that, I finally said, okay, I will now take like two days off. Anything else, and I'll read through the script and I'll learn all the stuff that's necessary and then take the online um, the online test. Right. So so drone doesn't just mean quadcopter, octocopter. It also means, uh, you know, camera wings or FPV wings and, and other planes like that. Yes. Um, so what, what does the license allow you to do that you weren't able to do before? Does it allow you to, to fly bigger planes or over... Um, uh, populated areas or without line of sight but i can uh, well the thing that i can now do is i can now apply for like special permits which is not possible if if you don't have that drone license so if i okay. for example just want to film something near a crowd just an event or something like that this would not be possible if well you don't have this commercial drone license and now i could apply and say okay i want to fly not just 100 meters away from the crowd but 50 meters or 20 meters or something like that right but you still need the uh the permits for that every time yes every time um and additionally if you are using any well if you're using an aircraft be it your quadcopter or your flying wing or something like that for commercial purposes you always need to have the drone license there's a small drone right. license in germany and a big uh, drone license in germany um, if you only have a, a small quadcopter which is below two kilograms um, oh well, that's <laughs> that's quite a, a chunker already. If it, I, I was thinking it's it's the two hundred fifty gram thing, but the two hundred fifty gram thing also has something uh, to do with regulations. But starting at two hundred and fifty grams, you need to have a nameplate on your aircraft vehicle and and things like that. But 
at uh, starting at two kilograms, you also need to have like a small drone license, even if you're only using it for like recre recreational purposes, right. um, which is 15 or 20 bucks and, and really simple, but um, they're at least telling you some, some basic things about where you well are allowed to fly and where you're not allowed to fly. So right. even though I'm not really planning on doing any aerial photography or like a lot with with my Mavic Air 2 that I purchased a couple of months before I just thought okay do it because there might be the point where somebody's asking you hey can you just make pictures of that event or if I I don't know do a YouTube video with some well where some nice shots would be interesting I just need to have that drone license because otherwise um, you could get into trouble. So right, okay. It's I mean it's it's something nice to have. How much how much did that license cost? Usually, if you're doing like a one day training, it's around five hundred euros, something like that. Ooh. Which well, which is um, like physical. Well, being in person at a one of the training places where you do the lessons right. and also take uh, the test in the end um, with Corona and also yeah with Corona they also started to do online courses and they are a little bit cheaper um, you usually get them around 300 bucks mine was um, a special offer costing 150 bucks for the test and that was I think kind of okay a good investment yeah, not too bad. And since it's a commercial drone license, it's a business expense, right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's deductible, That's... but it's it's interesting. I also needed to have like a polizeiliches Führungszeugnis, a police record, yeah. court, uh, yeah, something, yeah. something clean, because clean police record, basically. Yeah, police record because this drone license is something that well goes hand in hand with the 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 aircraft authorities and or yeah in in germany and uh if you have some bad things on your record you are not allowed to do this uh, drone license yeah especially when it's the uh the prerequisite for then getting permits for you know flying the crowds etc yeah um so basically you don't need a a uh, they don't need to check your your uh, police record 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 uh, record yeah. whatever uh every time they give you a new permit it's just hey you have the license this guy is good yeah um but as as far as flying fpv without uh, a spotter or without a uh, line of sight is that something you can now do or are those rules staying the same um they, those rules are basically staying the same. You still need to have a, a spotter. Um, you can ask for special permits if um, it's it's not avoidable, but then you really need to have a plan where all the risks are assessed and the risk needs to be low enough that nothing can really happen. Okay. The thing that got me really interested, um, especially concerning FPV, um, if you have an aircraft below 250 grams, you don't have you you can fly it you can fly it out of line of sight, and um, there is no range limit, which is There's totally cool. No, there, I I thought you always needed you always need a line of sight, but nope. 250. So below so 250. 250 is the toy class. 
It's, it's like, basically the toy class. What's the worst that's going to happen? Well, yeah. you're going to scratch a car. That's it. Yeah. There's still some regulations. So you are not allowed to go over 30 meters, but you can fly only with your goggles and you can fly out of sight. Um, you are still not allowed to fly over crowds or over um, big roads, autobahn, uh, um, highways and stuff like that. <laughs> People know what the autobahn is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's really cool. And uh, I, I don't know, know this, this kind of got me thinking about uh, trying to get a really small FPV drone and do like legal out of line of sight FPV flying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my flying wing is like, I think 300 grams, yeah. depending on which, which motor or battery I put in there, maybe 350, mm -hmm. but you could push it below 250 if you wanted to. Yeah. That could be that having could be really to cool. stay having to stay below thirty meters can be challenging because thirty meters is not that much, especially lot, if you're no. flying kind of fast. But yeah, it, this is kind of a, a a loophole that that you have. Yeah, well, typically it's it's a hundred meters that you can go up with regular modeling. Yes, exactly, a hundred meters and no higher. If you are not on a special like model airplane. Um, right. Uh, field. Airfield, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, well, well. Yeah, so learned a lot. Look, look um, what what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy that I did it. I don't know if, if I'm going to use it a lot, but it's that permit is, is valid for the next five years. We'll see, we'll see. Oh, just five years. Five I, I years? Thought that, okay. Well, I mean, regulations might change and all that, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. And you, you are actually back home in your old studio. I think we yes. actually started in this room, didn't we? Uh, we we did, yeah. So it was 90 degrees uh, that way. So okay. that, that wall still has the, the nail holes from, um, from the acoustic panels in there. Um, yeah, I am I'm back home. <laughs> Um, yeah, so first of all, I apologize for the video and audio quality. This is my, my gaming headset thing uh, that I'm using um, for, for anyone listening. Sorry, it's going to be better next time. But yeah, I'm in the process of moving back, of undoing everything I did earlier this year. Um, so I thought I had a great studio. thought I had a great space that had a printer room and an office and a nice studio, but I can't breathe in there. And... Yeah, I've been kind of documenting the, the process on YouTube stories. So people that have seen those will know what's up. But I, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, I walk I walk into the studio and my, my throat starts to, to scratch and my nose starts to burn. And it's, it's not comfortable to work in. And I have no idea what it is. I have no way of, of uh, doing anything about it. So my only move is, you know, back to back to the start back into the studio that I that I left at the end of 2019. Um, this is now, you know, the the editing office and, and uh, accounting office that's, you know, originally uh, the kids' room in this in this apartment, in this, in this upper floor of the house. Um, yeah. It sucks. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh, it sucks, but it's just it's one of the things you have to deal with you know if you want to keep on you know running a business keep on sharing knowledge about 3d printing uh producing videos you just have to put up with it you just have to to find the best way through it and that's what i'm doing 
Cool. So, yeah. or well, yeah, not, but yeah, it is. It is what it is. It is what it yeah. is, and there might be other opportunities popping up where you might eventually move your studio to. Studio, I do want to have like a, a an actual workshop. Um, you know, it's it's it, it feels like hey, you, you're a kid and you're dreaming big. I want when I'm big, I want that and that and that. And that's that. That's kind of what what I feel like. Hey, I want I want like a warehouse style building with a workshop and a nice spacious studio and a space to to you know have an editor's den and all that. But right now, it's it's going the opposite way, and that's again that's how it is. Deal with it. Move on. Move on. Yeah, exactly. What people will not be moving on from, though, is the uh, now permanent changes to Fusion 360. Yes, <sighs> there has been quite a bit of uproar last week when, well, Autodesk announced that they are essentially gonna, well, <sighs> nerf the, the the free personal license. Um, I don't know. You 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 have been working on that topic and, and researching that topic quite a bit more than I do. So may, maybe could you explain just, just in a couple of right. sentences what they are actually going to change? Okay. Um, right. So actually in 19 minutes, as we're recording this, um, the video explaining all those changes and my take on them is going to go up on YouTube. Um, so basically they've they've got four things that... I think are, are relevant, like the fact that, you know, we can only do local rendering, like nobody's going to care about that. Um, but the, the big ones for the personal license that people are going to care about is uh, the cam workspace is getting limited to three X's only. So four mm. and five axes is not going to be available at all in the personal license. Um, so people with a pocket NC, too bad. You're going to have to buy the, the big license. Is additive um, manufacturing still included? That I do not know. Okay. Um, I, I should have asked, and it's, it's not in the video because I wasn't clear on that. I'm not, I don't know if you have, you can still export it as TL, obviously. You can still do the send to slicer thing, but I don't know if the uh, built in slicer from Fusion is still in there. I would, if I had to guess, I would say no. No, um, that it's not affected. It's, it's not included anymore. Okay. Because, so uh, let's finish up with, uh, with Cam. Um, Anything that's more than three X's is removed and you don't get rapid feeds. Okay. That's like a, I mean, if you, if you run a machine shop and you need to, uh, to crank out parts, then yes, that does matter because it saves you time. But if you're running, you know, parts in your personal CNC, okay. Um, next up, the, the custom extensions is, are going to be removed. So extensions custom extensions is, is what they're calling it the terminology isn't really clear but that basically means if you switch on the top left of your fusion window you switch from design to uh, simulation or to manufacture um, or the advanced manufacturing extension those those are being removed um, so that means simulation is gone advanced manufacturing is gone um, generative design is also gone um, Along with the change to the personal license, there's been a different change where the um, those features are now something you can unlock as a trial or, uh, you know, unlock for a month or two or something. Um, that's also not an option for the personal license. Mm. 
So in order to even purchase those more advanced um, extensions, you have to have um, the paid or startup or educational license. Mm -hmm. um, so those extensions are going away. away and you've, you've said um, the, what was it, our next topic, the E3D assemble mm -hmm. extension or plugin might be affected as well. So I've got a similar situation with the Shaper. Um, the Shaper Origin reads SVG files, mm -hmm. and they are providing a plugin to Fusion that lets you select any face of an object or mm -hmm. I think sketches, or it lets you select a bunch of different things and straight away export that geometry as an SVG. Mm -hmm. And that will stay in place. That will still be there. Um, even on the personal license, that is not affected. Now, I don't know how the E3D uh, assemble extension plugin is built. But I would guess that that is something that stays unless it's in the manufacturing workspace, in the advanced, I don't know. I don't know either, but that's, yeah. I, I think that's going to be interesting because, um, yeah, as you said, the shaper or also the E3D assemble um, are kind of relying on that. All right, you, you could argue that for the shaper, you could just make a sketch of a surface and then export that sketch to an SVG. Um, here, it's just well, it making the process to... a little bit yeah. easier. Um, for what E3D are doing, I think it's quite essential to have that Absolutely. plugin. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not sure how that is affected because that that simple plugin, which is literally just like another tool in the in the toolbar, it's just a one click thing. You mm. you select your uh, your face and then you hit export. Um, that is staying in place. I don't know how involved the E3D assemble okay. plugin extension is. Okay, interesting. Um, so those are going away, but it's mainly for the generative design um, extension that they're also mm. calling. Um, those are not going to be an option for uh, the personal free license anymore. Mm. Um, then file format exports. Yeah. And they're basically taking away anything that is geometry perfect. So they're taking away um, step, IGES, um, DXF. So those three formats are really the, the industry standard exchange formats. Those are going bye-bye for the personal one. That is um, kind of hard. It's so, yeah, in the, in the video that I, that I did on the thing, my, my commentary was, hey, really it matters if you have a cam tool um, outside of Fusion. Mm -hmm. If you're doing cam for your whatever desktop CNC or, or another CNC, you need the step file or you could work off of an STL, but that's uh, that's really painful. Um, and if you have exchange with another uh, CAD tool, the way so I've, I've talked to um, to Mickey Wakefield from the Fusion 360 team about about clarification about some of these things. By the way, we still have one more point. That's that's an impact. But um, what they said was, you know, that that becomes relevant when you have several CAD tools in use in your company and you know somebody designs something in Fusion and then shares it with their colleague um, who's using whatever, Katia, SolarWorks, NX, Creo, any of those. And that's a use case where you shouldn't be using the personal license anyways. Mm -hmm. Like, is, is there a use case where you need step other than CAM? Well, I guess I like to provide the step files for my my models on Thingiverse, for example, if people 
wanted to adjust my designs for their own needs. And if you don't have that anymore, I can still provide the Fusion 360 file, but they're only able to, to like conveniently work on my model or rework my model if they were also using Fusion 360. And this is the thing where, where it kind of impacts me. Yeah, it is a lock in for sure. It is, it's like you, you're in this walled garden. Now it's still, it's still a free tool, right? Mm. They're, they're not, I, I don't think the, the intent is to lock people in um, because they're not making any money off of free users. Um, literally they're free you're not paying anything and it's not ad supported and they're not selling your data uh, one would hope but it's I, I think it's just out of necessity out of necessity to prevent people from abusing that that free license mm-hmm. tier and yeah um, that's that's a topic we, we can come back to in a second but the last restriction that's being put in place is 10 active designs or documents mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's a really that's not one you're actually going to have much issues with because basically what it means is you can have ten what would typically be a file. Um, mm. So you go into your projects folder, then you open up one design. Ten of those can be active and not archived, and all that means is the archived ones cannot be edited. Mm. And you can f- switch back and forth um, between which ones are active and archived at any time. You can have you can even have a bottom-up design with more than ten uh, parts in it that are just separate files that are imported, and those can all be archived. You can still create uh, connections and joints and and move and 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 manipulate them, but you cannot edit the files. Mm-hmm. So when they're archived, they're in a read-only state basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to edit one in context or open the file, you have to set that one to active and disable archive another file. What's the reason then for reducing that to only it's, like ten files active? Um, it's so the I, I think the entire theme of this change is inconvenience. Like mm-hmm. they they're not trying to take away features; they're just trying to make it a bit more inconvenient for the people that are actually going to the limits of what the personal edition allows you to do, mm. um, or actually going past the limit of what you're supposed to be doing with mm. the free license. And, you know, if you're someone who has assemblies with, you know, dozens or hundreds of, of parts that are all imported from separate files, you're going to run into that limit if you have to edit all of those. So if you have like a large industrial machine where you need to edit this thing and then that thing in context, then that's going to be a bit of a hassle um, to do. But if you're just having, um, for example, designs that you do yourself, where you have all your components in one single file, if you're doing the mm. top-down design, um, then you're not going to see that. Mm. So, so they're the, basically the, the, limit, limiting or making it less convenient for the ones that should not be using the personal license in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the goal. And here's here's what 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 Mickey from from Autodesk was also um, wanting to point out is they they don't want to have to do these changes. Um, they they want to provide the best possible free tool that they can. But there are a point where it's like, you know, there there is abuse happening with the free version. And these are the changes that, yes, of course, that there are always several interests going mm. this way or the other way. But these are the changes that they agreed on were the ones that were going to impact the legit free user the least. Mm. Yeah. 
And the thing is, if you compare the price of Fusion 360 to most other like professional CAD tools, oh yeah, it's it's really cheap because yeah. So I think even with the sale, yeah. So even even without the sale, like yeah. it is still cheap. Without the That's sale, cool. I think it's like forty bucks a month. So regular one month price is sixty bucks a month. Okay. Um, but if you do one year or three years, that monthly price comes down already, and they right now have a forty percent sale on top of that yeah. uh, for the one year and three year subscription. So I think it's like three hundred bucks uh, for one year and five hundred for three years or something. And if you're using that tool commercially, that's basically nothing. Yes, and that, that is for the full commercial license. Yeah. Now, I did also ask, hey, can we maybe talk about like a maker's license where you get, I don't know, a limited amount of, of step exports a month or you can buy some features mm -hmm. back with cloud credits as you need them. And the the response to that was, okay, we, we've just moved away from a multi-tier subscription to a single-tier subscription, splitting that up back the other way and splitting that up again. Uh, they don't know if they can do that. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's it's really tricky. Like if you have a like Netflix cost level um, subscription, what features do you, do you keep away and which ones do you give back? Like there are so many different uh, interests in the in the maker community. Like, hey, this person might want simulation. This person mm -hmm. might be really interested in generative design. And, you know, in the end, you're going to have so many voices asking for everything. Mm -hmm that it's going to be really hard to decide which features to keep and which to, to take out. Yeah. So lots of people, well, I've, I've been reading from quite a lot of people that, that Autodesk is basically just screwing us all over, uh, that we have been beta, free beta testers for four years now, and now they're making it, uh, now there's, they start wanting to make, money with this with that software and this is actually something i don't really understand because it i've been using it for four years now and for four years it was a a really well usable good cat tool and it's just getting better and better and i've been basically using it for free and i don't know how you can really complain that if features of a free tool that is created by a company that is not a charity company. Um, yeah, I, I, I do understand that. I do understand, I 100% I do understand that, that perspective because as a user, you're not just investing your money, you're also investing your time into a tool. Um, so people who came from, I don't know, some other cat tool like which other good cat tools are out there that are free hmm, i don't know but that that invested their time into learning fusion um that is also a value that you put into the program and they, if they, you now feel that it's not usable for you anymore yeah. like that's that's work and effort that you feel like you've put into the software and gave out yes but they're not well taking the software away from you they are no, just basically limiting it a little the only thing i think i will be really like missing is the the step export to be totally honest yeah um the other thing well simulation was fun from time to time but on the other hand simulation the... wasn't really that advanced in fusion 360 so yeah the what what mickey also pointed out like 
I think you and me, uh, we are not the typical Fusion users. Um, we are probably a bit past what a what a typical personal free user is. We are power users, right? Mm. We're, we're in that um, that no man's land between. Mm. Hey, you probably want features from the paid version, but you, mm. it's still kind of expensive. It feels like it's expensive mm. for you. Um, and the typical user doesn't care about simulation, or the, or even knows how to use simulation mm. past getting pretty pictures and getting usable results out. Yeah. So, yeah, the. But like you said, it is still. I I, th I still think it is a great free tool. Yeah. Like the the limitations don't really change anything about that. Um, you're still getting a a cat. The entire cat side of things is is untouched. Mm. Um, except yes, step export. Um, but other than that, it is still really. It's still a great tool. I will mm. keep using it for sure. Yeah, me too. And there aren't that many al alternatives around. Of course, there's FreeCAD, yeah. but FreeCAD is very limited. I just I've just recently seen, I think yesterday, that Siemens is, I think, also uh, providing a kind of limited version of their NX software for hobbyists and free personal use. I don't right. know how that is called. Um, um, but other than that, I I w I wouldn't say that. Blender is is a CAD software. Blender is is a modeling software for that. Well, and that's the reason why I I don't think that that's basically an alternative. Yeah. I mean, Blender is an awesome tool. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it is open source, and it is showing that an open source tool can be good and successful. Yeah. But you need that sort of you need that critical mass yeah. um, for an open source tool to become. Great, like GNU Linux, perfect. Um, Chromium or Firefox or any of the browser software is really great because there are a lot of people using them and a lot of people, um, you know, working on the software. With a more niche tool like FreeCAD, it, I, I would I would really wish that FreeCAD was as good as Fusion, but it is. If if we're being realistic, it is not. Mm. So yeah. And as far as like free alternatives go, yeah, I mean, I've, I've looked into, is there a free version of SOLIDWORKS, which is what, what I grew up with mm -hmm. uh, from, from university. That's just what everyone was using. And I think there's like, there's several ways to get like a one month free trial here and there. Mm -hmm. And there's like a web-based version that does a couple of things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Autodesk is, uh, I think, pretty much the only company who are just giving away a, a, a version of their software that is so fully featured. Mm -hmm as fusion maybe on shape on shape does give you a personal license with yeah also with some limitations yeah um well so. with the limitation that everything needs to be open you can't have any private yeah. files yeah and i think there is a limit to how many designs you can have or something yeah i don't know um since they changed their um tos to just not allow any sort of commercial yeah. use anymore <clears throat> i was out because yeah. I, Technically, I don't think I would I would be and, and you neither because we, we we would be commercial, but we're not selling designs and we're not making money with designs. Mm. But still, it's I, I don't want to become one of those people who abuse the license mm. that then everyone else has to pay for by getting features taken away. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, and well, to be totally honest. Um, Autodesk, well, they, there is a reason why they are giving that tool away for free because they want to kind of also lock people in into their system and um, f 
starting with a free version, getting into a company and saying, okay, I know how to use Fusion 360 and those guys are then paying for the software. Or yeah. if they just start out small and then have a small startup and, and grow and grow and then start using Fusion 360 as, as a commercial tool. And that's basically, I think, the, the, the business yeah. model that, that they have behind Fusion 360. And yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not, like you said, they're not a charity. Yeah. They're not doing anything out yeah. of sheer goodwill. Though you would be surprised how much, you know, the, the, the Autodesk guys actually care about giving the, the maker community something that they can work with. Yeah. Um, th yes, that, that's, that's what Mickey told me on, uh, on, on the call that he, by the way, did on Sunday. So I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for him taking the time there. But, um, even before that, I think three years ago or something, Autodesk was at three makeup, uh, 3D, sorry, 3D Meetup Sweden, and they were just giving talks. And they were they were really a part of that of that that meetup. Yeah. Um, they were giving talks, uh, tutorials. They really made the impression of, hey, this is a, a a cool new tool. We want you to be able to to make use of this. Mm -hmm. And yes, if you then graduate to to being able to use it commercially or in a bigger company, that's fine. That's yes, that's where we make our money. But for the time being, here's a a tool that we can provide. Um, for you to use yeah and by the way this is not coming from a, from an Autodesk fanboy I was very reluctant to change to an Autodesk product <laughs> because my experience with them was pretty bad up until that point and my first few months and years on Fusion was also <laughs> riddled with crashes and bugs and everything and yeah it's they've they've uh, improved on that a lot too yeah and still it's it's horribly cheap in the end. If, if you're thinking about what a SolidWorks or a Katia license only costs you in maintenance a year, it's an order of magnitude more than, it's just maintenance fees. than the whole license is costing you. So. <laughs> um, let, me, let me just see how much uh, uh, SolidWorks, oh, not SolidWorks costing, that's a different thing. SolidWorks buy. Um, let me see if we can get this to load up. I think SolidWorks changed to a more subscription-heavy model as well. I keep bringing up SolidWorks because I think it's the closest thing to Fusion, um, realistically. Um, it does a lot of similar things. Yeah. Uh, come on. My <laughs> internet is kind of bad. I'm sorry for for two dudes googling on on a podcast. You should do that. The the base the basis price for a Katia version five is around ten thousand euros, and only a viewer costs you one thousand nine hundred euros. <laughs> just the viewer, so nothing. Just, just the viewer. That's like that's two year li God, uh, that's that, six that's year like license. Seven, yeah, um, computer aided technology dot com kati.com is saying um one license of solidworks standard is four thousand dollars the annual subscription service for standard license which covers support upgrades and more is one thousand two hundred and ninety five dollars mm. so yeah that's five months of uh, five years of fusion <laughs> and if you get the yeah. so if you get solidworks um premium which has uh some more simulation stuff built in that's 10 grand for one year and that's still cheap. If, yeah, if, you, sure. if you know what Katia or Siemens NX or, or stuff like that costs, that is still cheap. So yeah, I think I've I think I've spec'd out one of the cat tools that I was using during during university once um, <laughs> at, a, at a retail, and it was like 
80 grand yeah. <laughs> for, for one seat, for one single license. I mean, that's that's a lifetime subscription to Fusion. Of course, yes, Fusion does have those, yeah. those uh, cloud credit add-ons where you pay a bit here and there, yeah. but it's still nowhere yeah. close. To be totally honest, <sighs> you can't directly compare Fusion 360 to Katia True. or to uh, Siemens NX. Those are tools that have all the PLM system in the background and are... I guess way more reliable, especially with big assemblies and stuff like that. They're they're made for, well, building a car with it and stuff like that. And yeah. I, th yeah, other tools. It's. Use. I think that that's a that's the thing that you really have to realize is Fusion is more on on that side of of actual Pro CAD than it is on something like Tinkercad. Yeah. Um, it might. I mean, Tinkercad is is. Autodesk as well, isn't it? They bought I a lot of stuff in the yeah. past. <laughs> they, they might have, they might have accidentally bought them at some <laughs> point. Um, even though it, it looks similar, Fusion really does so much, even yeah. on the free one. Well, so are are you gonna keep? So, f a question for you: Are you uh, what what plan are you on? Um, I am currently still on the. I think on the personal license just because i applied for a startup license like right. half a no not for i applied for an influencer license like half a year right. ago but i i had i heard back once and they said ah yeah just go with it as long as you can use it um for me i think well I basically can't really i basically am not allowed to use the 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 free license just because I kind of use it commercially. Yeah, it's so a gray area again. I probably will be applying for an influencer license just to save on a couple of bucks and So use well, okay. <laughs> but if if you had the if you had the option of using a personal license, would you be able to do your stuff with the because the, the influencer license is the fully featured one. Yeah. Um I guess most of be, the stuff. Yeah. Um yeah, the only would thing you be I would using the free be really one, or missing would you Sorry? <laughs> so, so. Would you? Would I? Would Would you be using the, the free one, or would you actually spend those uh, three hundred bucks a year to upgrade to the to the fully featured one? If I would not be doing YouTube, and if those would not be well company expenses, I would definitely only be using the, the free license because that is ninety five percent sufficient and. 90% more than probably any other software can do for me. And I would be totally happy with that. Um, if I would do, I don't know, not YouTube, but engrave door signs or stuff like that, I might be just saying, okay, I don't want to bother with it. Yeah. And I just pay the 300 bucks because they are company expenses and they help me to, well, save five hours of work every year or 10 hours of work. And then it's totally worth it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, where was it going with this? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I guess my, my, my perspective is always, I want to see the tools, how you guys listening and, and, and watching, um, would see them. I, I want to be able to see what the tool can do mm -hmm. in its free ish version, um, or the one that's, that's accessible to, to most people. Like if I show a cool feature here or there and it's like, oh, we've got um, topology optimization. You can do, make your own topology optimized uh, parts, yeah. which is a feature that was taken away 
pretty quickly after I made the, the video on it. It's like, okay, I, I, just because I can do it doesn't mean it's providing value for, for viewers as well because they don't have access to that same feature. Yeah. So I, for me, I, I, I think the base version is really, I think, all I'm going to need. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently on the startup plan. Um, and, uh, Mickey also was like, hey, if you need the influencer plan, I mean, we know you uh, just just hit me up and I can I can hook you up with with one. Um, that would be an option. But I was like, I don't know if, if you could just give me a personal license. I want to see what that is like. Um, that's that's what I'm, what I'm kind of more interested in in using, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I really need to to deal with that topic in ten days from now, nine days from now, when things are going to change. Um, maybe maybe just on a side note, if if one of you is still has a lot of parts and might be thinking about changing to another software. Um, What's his name? Um, Nestle. There is a guy. <laughs> uh, I'll put the link in the description who, who wrote a plugin that you can currently use that will export all of the files and projects that you currently have in Fusion 360 in step format that you don't have to do that on your own. Okay, so it's an automation for... David, David Nestle, what... <laughs> Damn it, Justin, Justin Eslerotte. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Of of BotQ, not, not yes, exactly. Is it BotQ? BotQ, yeah, BotQ fame. What's his name? What's his Justin. name? Justin. 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 Yeah, I'm so bad with names. I'm 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 seriously really <laughs> sorry. But but some some names just stick. I don't know. Um, I remember while you... you look up what you want to look up. Um, let me clarify the uh, the timeline for what's going to happen when. The, uh, the the export format is going to go into effect from October 1st. So that's in you know a bit over a week from now. Um, however, the 10 designs active limitation, that's going to come on January 19th. And I'm not sure when the extensions and you know simulation generative design and cam limits are going to go into effect. But okay. I would estimate it's, it's also going to be uh, January 19th. All right, I think uh, enough fanboyism for Fusion 360. No, we're gonna get so much shit for this. <laughs> I got so much shit for my 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 um, AutoCAD integration for the last video. So yeah, what was it? Was a bad point for a product placement in that video? Yeah, it's it's like timing is everything. I think oh. once people realize, hey, these changes aren't actually all that mm. bad. Um, it should be fine, but yeah, yeah let's let's uh, jump on this next one that actually is still the same topic. So, yeah, <laughs> if the tool changer, ASMBL, the symbol, um, you have a tool changer. I think you you should know more about that than I do. Yes, I do have a tool changer. So, do, um, do you have an assemble? E3D. So the the tool changer, as the name already suggests can use different tool on a machine and they don't ha all have to be, well, 3D printing heads. You can add cameras, you can add cutting knives, you can add whatever. And um, I think this is already like six or eight weeks old. They announced the ASMBL additive subtractive manufacturing by layer. Nailed it. Which is 
basically a subtractive tool head that they design for their um, for their tool changer. And it's not only the tool itself, but also they wrote a plugin for Fusion 360 that lets you in some way, I haven't done it myself so far, combine additive and subtractive manufacturing. So I don't know if you actually, you probably slice your part in Fusion 360. So you use their FDM slicer, but you can also use then the subtractive manufacturing. So basically just machining away a couple of surfaces after each layer or after every couple of layers. Um, basically all, all in one package because before, of course, you were able to basically kind of design your own printer that has a printing head and a subtractive head. But software was always the problem. Having having a tool that lets you combine additive and subtractive manufacturing, and they actually did it. Um, the subtractive head is not overpowered. I think it's maybe, I think it's just a BLDC motor from like a quadcopter yeah. or something like that and a, a really small spindle, but you only are taking away a couple of tenths of millimeter from, from plastic. So that's, that's not an issue. Um, it looks really cool. I really want to, to have one, but then the baby came and um, <laughs> currently still need to, to organize projects, but I really would like to play around with that because you could, you can, for example, do really nice fitting, um, uh, well, sections, for example, where you push in bearings or you could yeah, do... That's, that's what they're showing in the video. That's I've, I've literally yeah. just had the frame pop up there. You, you could do normal additive manufacturing and then machine, for example, your upper surface that it more or less looks like non-planar 3D printing and stuff like that. So yeah, um, it is a really cool idea. Uh, I still think you need to have a specific application for it. I don't know how well it works. I don't know how messy it is and where all of, well, the chips are, are vacuumed away, but if not all of the chips are vacuumed away, how does that affect the print quality and stuff like that? But I think it's it's pretty nice, it's pretty neat. Um, and if you have a tool changer and have an interesting idea where that could be interesting, yeah, just take a look at it. And, and I think the, the plans are available open source or something like that. I think so, yeah. So it's cool, step into the right direction. Um, not just a, a proof of concept, but something that is basically working. Now we just need to have applications for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that, that's really going to be the uh, the kicker. As for tool changer and, uh, you know, non-planar printing, it's yeah. first how, how to use it and then what can you actually use it for. Yeah. Um, but I think with, I, I think what they're showing right now is with just a regular um, square end, uh, head mm -hmm. uh, with a with a, a bit in there that's um, just shaving away the um, that that little bulge you get from mm -hmm. the layer on the on the outside and just making it perfectly smooth. Um, but if you put a ball end head uh, ball end end mill in there, um, you can do perfect top surfaces or sides. So you, you know you can you can do a lot of things with that. It's it's just in the software and in the creativity of the user. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, as I said, may maybe I'll, 
build myself one of those print heads at some point. But I, I think then the tool changer needs to go into the basement <laughs> because that's a more messy yeah. process than just normal 3D printing. Yeah, mess and probably noise too. Yep. <laughs> but the baby is actually quite happy at the moment when it's noisy outside, when the guys are using their, their big... <laughs> drills and hammers uh, upstairs during the renovations. She's the one that directly falls asleep. <laughs> it's it's white noise. It's background noise. It's perfect. Yeah, you should you should, uh, you should record some of that and, and put it on loop when you, when you need to. There are. To yeah, there are tons of, of apps for white noise for babies. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I bet, I bet. Uh, anything that is for babies for babies. Yeah, you can, you, you're going to find online. Definitely, definitely. Cool. All right. Um, um, and as we were talking about the tool changer and the, the cool application applications of non planar printing, we've got an, another topic about non planar with well, a new non planar framework that does 6.35 times the part strength compared to i don't know what but it's like you know com convention compared to conventional planar fff printing and your comment was like oh their edition must suck then <laughs> if that's what what they're getting um yeah but this is a this is an article on 3d printing industry um of work from uh, six international scientists from where are they from somewhere okay um michigan texas argon national Lab Oratory. Yeah, link yes. is down in the description. So, so basic, exactly. basically, they created an algorithm that creates a really three-dimensional toolpath for for your three D printer. Um, in well, that are optimally orientated in the later loads directions. You basically have a model, apply loads, and then you are, well, then the slicing paths are calculated that the layers, well, kind of go into the direction where the load goes. And you don't have problems with, with layer adhesion because the layers should ideally not be loaded perpendicular. Yeah. Um, was not clear from this, at least from this article, I guess you would have to read the um, the full paper, which is, yes, uh, open access, so you guys can have a, a full read through it. Um, they're saying this is a strength-aware and collision-free working surfaces, yada, yada, yada. Do you actually input your forces, or is it just, like, for example, the Stanford Bunny, the ears, is it seeing, okay, we've got... Um, this ear, this has a uh, constriction where the ear meets the, mm -hmm. the skull. This could break and we should orient the layers so that they flow along the ears or is it actually something you put in, okay, load here, load yes. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. take a look at the pictures. So with the bunny you see on, I think, picture B that they applied loads uh, or forces on the ears. Oh, right, a little error yeah. there, okay. And they get kind of a vector field and then use that vector field for yeah, aligning the layers. And also for the the sculpture, um, I think the first image shows that, uh, there are also the, the yellow arrows that right. are right. Okay. the loads. And well, this is, this is pretty cool. I think the claim that you achieve 6.35 better 
materials or better part strength is um, a bit a bit too much because well usually the difference between perfectly orientated and and like worst orientation is 50% of the load at least for PLA yeah what what they're saying is they have a range of 1.42 times to 6.35 times so yeah yeah, I guess there is one edge case where it's really 6.35 but typically it's it's like you're you're orient you're Mm. always orienting the layers correctly but already is where it would really make sense and where you could actually achieve those increases in strength is if you're using continuous fibers because the difference in strength for continuous fibers is on the one direction you are loading the fiber and on the other direction you're basically only loading the polymer matrix and there the difference between strength is is really high so if you would implement that with continuous fiber laid on this is a great method to use fdm 3d printing for um for highly loaded parts yeah and and that would be the point where you're like okay we can make parts that have their strengthening components whatever that might be mm. uh so optimally distributed that 3d printing actually makes stronger parts than that what can be done yeah. with reasonable effort in yeah. traditional manufacturing yes exactly so you could definitely get more than aluminum strength parts out of an fdm 3d printer yeah. because I mean, the, the parts the parts that mark for show um you know the the ones that you can really see, okay, it's carbon on top, carbon yeah. on bottom, and, and it's strong. Yes, yeah. that works for that one orientation, but exactly. basically, you know, get it on arbitrary directions. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But again, um, in the end, it, it always depends if you have this implemented into a software. If not, it's a nice paper, nice proof of concept, but won't really help us in any way so let's let's look forward that i don't know well i have i haven't read the whole article but that they are going to uh, i don't know sell their their algorithm or just found, found a company or something like that um that uses this process in an interesting and um well good way yeah um even if it's not a i mean the paper is open access but that doesn't mean that the stuff they're they're showing isn't patented already um even if it's even if it's fairly closed um it's still good that there is something happening there because you know as with all all great things that are somehow patented or protected there's always going to be someone who is able to work around those patents and make it work in another way that can then be used more broadly um etc etc so just the fact that this is being worked on i think is is pretty nice yep cool Um, what else oh yeah topic of of patents (laughs) man uh, the what's it called not transitions yeah the transitions from one segways segways yeah yeah thanks (laughs) Uh, our fire today um yeah patents stratasys's patents uh on continuous printing so uh this is an article from fabalu where they talk about that robofactory is offering a continuous 3d printer conversion kit so what they are basically offering is 
a box with a continuous belt that you put under your Ender 3 and you convert your normal Ender 3 to a continuous Ender 3, a belt Ender 3 with perpendicular axis, which is cool. Yeah. So you have your, your X and Z axis are the traditional, um, you know, I3 style axis, basically. But then the entire bed and the Y axis is replaced with a belt, if I'm seeing this correctly. Yeah. So you lose the actual motion on the Y axis, but all the Y axis motion is now done with the belt. Exactly. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's just, it's, it's, you're continuously sliding that belt over your, your heated surface, I would guess. Yeah. I think in the um, thingomatic, wasn't the entire the entire conveyor belt was moving, right? It was on an XY platform, and it was just the belt that was used to eject parts after the print. Um, could be the case. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about that, but yeah, it could be the case. Um, it would be interesting to see if that affects like print adhesion on that on that belt but i don't know if the the printing surface is stays well as level as as it was i don't know might be working yeah yeah now the the big question with that is does this now infringe on the stratasys aka makeabout patents um that was originated with the thingomatic where you cannot have perpendicular axes and a belt. It probably does. <laughs> it, it, it probably does. I don't know if they're trying to get around um, that patent by not selling a whole printer, but hey, this yep. is a base with a belt on top. Whatever you do with it is your own problem <laughs> um, or your own decision. And uh, yeah, they, they just making it big enough that it fits under specific printers like all of the Ender 3 and, sure. and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, Artillery Genius, Sidewinder X1, CR10, Ender, CS6SE, Anycubic, yada, yada, Loadspots, OneHow, Prusa i3 Mark 3S. So basically for any printer, I guess all they're changing is the, um, the side bracket that has those little steel tabs on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but typically the way that um, that's that one Stratasys patent is being worked around is by angling the, I guess, the Z-axis. So that's why you see stuff like the White Knight or Black Belt printers that have their Z-axis angled anywhere between. Well, I guess, does it turn into a Y-axis then? I don't know. But <laughs> their nozzle is not oriented um, perpendicular to the print yeah. surface, but the entire movement gantry is kind of tilted up. Yeah. And yeah, that that is. I don't think it. I don't think that's done because you can now continue uh, print continuous parts that just fly off the build plate and are still being built at the end. I think that is really just to circumvent the patent because I, I would feel it is a bit more convenient to just have a print that you know prints and then is auto ejected mm -hmm. versus you know which is some versus being able to, to print super long mm. parts that, that you have to ha lay on an outfeed table mm. at some point, um, which is not something you can do with that upgrade kit. That upgrade kit really is just for printing a part and then ejecting it out of the printer yeah. at some point. Yeah, but it might it might not be legal to sell. Who knows? <laughs> Somebody knows. Uh, have, have we gotten some feedback about um, that patent kind of not being 
really that that enforceable or something at some point Maybe i can't remember things. i would have to take a look at at the comments but i don't know how yeah. how well strictly stratasys is in in that regard but i would assume that they are trying to make sure that their intellectual property stays theirs until the patent really runs out yeah so yeah b- bell um, printers are are basically on the on the uprise um yeah. we have seen quite a lot of tilted belt printer in the past and now also yeah creality well we have seen pictures of the creality cr30 i think it's it's called um which is also a belt 3d printer which looks kind of promising and it's interesting to see that such a big com- company is is working on that and potentially um well getting that onto the market and getting belt 3d printing more accessible because yeah other belt 3d printers like the the white knight and the black belt 3d printer they were way more expensive yeah and in fact the um if if i'm getting this correctly here the co30 is actually done in or designed and made in collaboration with nax3d who is making the white knight printer yeah so yeah it's not like they're ripping off that that white knight printer is done in collaboration with nax3d so that that is great to see as well yeah so i i'm really hoping that i get my hands on one of those at some point and maybe only just to wrap my head around what difference it now makes in slicing and how the design restrictions change with that particular Uh, setup yeah um so i i guess the um the best way or the, the way that i found to visualize it i think we've talked about this before but um back in the day it used to be done the in, in the way that you would first pre-distort your part and then slice that with kira and then the printer by its geometry mm. undistorts that again um and yeah i guess that 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 kind of helps with the limitations that you can how you can print parts with overhangs etc yeah but yeah overhangs are work better on one side than they do on the other that's like that's the key point there yeah. <laughs> and, and and bridges are kind of weird yeah if you take a look at um naomi Wu's video where she's printing yeah. i think a bunch of benchies just in a row uh you can see that she, she is using support structures at places where you would you, you where you wouldn't usually put uh supports for for a benchy and the benchy is designed that it doesn't need support structure and you have lots of bridges and stuff like that but design rules change with that setup and it, as yeah. i said i still need to wrap my head around that and i think the only way i'm really able to wrap my head around it is by using one of those i mean i guess if you if you don't really care about the belt feature you could just take uh, an ender 3 and kind of rack the z-axis back 30 degrees or 45 degrees and you would have the same geometry more or less it just doesn't have the belt it has the moving bed which is the same and you and you would you need to tilt the z-axis and then rotate also the extruder by 90 degrees to the z-axis yes yes yeah yeah 
<laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I think it's not that easy. It's not that easy right from the start. Do you know? Yeah, you do. You yeah. do. Right. But that makes it interesting. Um, it has additional limitations, but also probably opportunities, uh, be it just that you can print a continuous T, um, what do you say, T, T steel bar, cross, cross yeah. bar, um, or things like yeah, that. I'm I'm just interested in in seeing like an auto eject printer. Yeah. That's that's all I care about yeah. for now. Um, just being able to to say okay, I want these two dozen parts, and you come back a week later, and there's a bin full of parts without you having to touch the machine. Yeah, I, I think that's what I care about for that. That's what I care for the most right now, and that's what the what that upgrade kit actually does. Yeah, if it works as <laughs> advertised. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've been thinking about what what you could do with like automatically replacing like a magnetic steel bed or something with um, getting getting the bed off is not that hard because you can just move the printer to mm-hmm. it to the end of the y axis and and have some hooks and then mm-hmm. yank it off or something. But getting a fresh print surface back on that's the tricky part because yeah. you need you need to have some sort of magazine or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or actually, you could well, you could you can use your print head to knock a part off, but then you need to make sure that you well don't lose that well you could just home afterwards but then you have to make sure that the parts really release from the build platform and it's 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 not that easy and you need to wait until the bed cooled down and that could be quite an additional honest downtime. honestly i think that that would be that would be still worth it um you know if you don't have to physically move your your body to the printer um because, for example, for me, you know, the last few months I had the printers at the studio and, you know, when I when I rode my bike home, it's just a, a couple hundred meters. But still, you have to be there when the print finishes mm. and you have to, to take the time to get there mm. and back. And even if you just walk a, a flight of stairs up yeah. or down, um, just not being able, yeah. not having to touch it, I think, yeah. saves you time either way. But, yeah. Do you know if, if Marlin allows loops in G-Code? I think... With Duet, it's possible to have yeah. a loop in your G code, where you could it, run a G code over and over. I don't, I don't think Marlin allows you to do that right now. But you could just copy and paste a bunch of G codes together. Yeah. Like that, that wouldn't be much of an issue. It would be, it wouldn't be much of an issue, but it would be just nicer to have a command. Okay, start all over again. True. Yeah. So there are things that you well need to deal I'm, with I'm, sh- I'm sure you can do it with uh, with octoprint with just a, a quick plugin or something yeah. that shouldn't be too hard yeah i was i was that actually might, that might even be a, a plugin for octoprint already yeah. okay go ahead i was actually thinking about making a knockdown tool for my tool changer where i can do continuous printing <laughs> just a tool with i don't know uh a mechanical RAM or or a pneumatic RAM or something like that, where you just wait ten minutes until the bed is cooled down, and then you take your RAMing tool and uh, knock your I've, part off the printer. I, I've got all the parts for that uh, in the basement. I've literally got a printed fist uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a pneumatic, like a thirty centimeter pneumatic. What's it called? Piston, Piston yeah. uh, <laughs> to do that. I've I've had that almost working, but I don't know. Somehow it got yeah. um, delayed. But if you um, uh, hold on, 
if you want to see how that can work, Sanjay from E3D, actually one of the few videos on his personal channel is uh, RepRap Auto Printing. I will send you a link real quick um, and we'll also put that in the show notes. That's actually seven years ago. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just at the start of, of E3D as a company. Um, Oh, it's only been seven years. It feels like it's been way longer than that. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's been just doing something on a Mendel 90 where he has like a, a little aluminum shield in front of his um, tool head hardened mm. that just bumps the prints off the surface. And I think that's on top of hairspray on glass or something, yeah. something like that. Where it nicely and easily releases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the good old times. The archive. The, the the cool thing is so many so many things have already been done. Yeah. Like we we are we are by far not the first people to think of this. No. Uh we're by far not the smartest people in the community. Um there's but if you go through rep rep forums, pretty much every idea you can think of has already been discussed. Mm. So that's good to see that uh, you know people are already testing those things and it's not just we're not just doing stuff we 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 spontaneously think of and oh this might be cool no people have already tested those those views <laughs> anyways um we thought we, we should have a, a a short little section before we get into the q a section of the podcast and that is well, stefan has called it extra bits um extra little dangly bits that didn't make it into a video didn't really you know make the cut and i'm gonna start with mine for this week um so if everything goes well i'm gonna have a video up on friday with uh fast printing whether it's better to do a tuned profile with high speeds or you know the um What's it called? The, the drilled out nozzle mm. um, approach. So I've got a I've I'm, I'm at the point where I've got the fast printing tests done, and I'm I'm about to install the fast nozzle. And the original video idea for that was fast printing with lightweight PLA, because my my thinking was this, and in retrospect, it sounds absolutely stupid once you know what's going to happen. But um, my thinking was this: um, if I get the extruder or the hot end to run out of heat. Um, it would be better to print with lightweight PLA than to print with regular PLA because, well, the, the, the hot end to run out of heat and the extruder to run out of grip because the extruder only has to push a third of the material, or 40% of the material, and the hot end only needs to provide a third as much heat. So if those two things were a limiting factor, then I think printing with lightweight PLA could be or that at least that was my thought could be a way to kind of get more performance out of your extruder and hotten problem is though i was using the mark three which has a dual drive uh you know bontech style no it actually has bontech gears mm. has a dual drive bontech extruder in there e3d hotten like those two did not care at all like the printer was zipping along at i think 250 millimeters a second and the extruder was just like i don't feel a thing so <laughs> Uh, turns out those two were absolutely not the limiting factor. Um, the limiting factor was cooling. First of all, I was printing benchies and, you know, anything below an hour of, of benchy print time was just, you know, everything was curling in. <laughs> and when I did load in the lightweight PLA, because 
I didn't use a, a volcano block, I just wanted to use the regular V6 block. Because of the temperature differences that do occur in the hot, and when you print at mm. 250 and you move faster for one bit and slower for another, I was getting massive under extrusion. Mm. Because for some parts where you're just pushing a lot of filament through, you you just get uh, less expansion in the filament. So, yeah, that did not make the cut. So I'm, I'm going to film the intro for that video for the third time this week. Um <laughs> And yeah, the video is a is a bit of a different concept than it started out with, but hey, that's that's okay. That's that's how things are. Cool. Yeah, lightweight PLA. Yeah. Yeah, not not great, great for printing, but not great for fast printing. Well, yes, yeah, well, maybe because the the cool thing with lightweight PLA is if you 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 can. Uh, uh, increase the layer height by quite a bit if um, if you use the lightweight PLA. So you can use, for example, a 0.4 millimeter nozzle and print 0.6 millimeter layers with it just due to its expanding nature. But if that really helps you with fast printing because you probably just wanted to print fast at the same layer height and not just increase the layer height and therefore that get was, faster. That was the the approach with the profile tuning yeah. and then when i want larger layers i'm, I'm going to install the drilled out nozzle okay. which is a bit ghetto because the nozzle geometry is like all over the place it's not what it's supposed to be <laughs> but hey that's that's what the cool kids do these days right <laughs> cool looking forward to that video perfect all right so sure. yeah my extra bit is something i have really underestimated so yeah, basically a week ago, one and a half weeks ago, I made a video about the Polymaker Strongest Hook Contest. And I said, okay, I totally understand that not everyone has some Polymax PLA at home. And I at least want to give three of my viewers the opportunity to also have like a wild card and just send me your STL and I'll choose three of oh. your entries and I'll print those out for you and, and send them into Polymaker. Well, turns out um, I got 150 entries over the last week. <laughs> so yesterday I was spending quite an excessive amount of time to go through all of the entries and to at first think about okay is this a valid entry so does this apply to the oh does this not apply to conform the to the it, yeah, yeah. To the is this by the rules um is this something where i think okay is interesting or is it a totally stupid design and then i still had like i think 40 designs left over where i said okay those are all interesting <laughs> entries how do i now choose the ones that i'll send out and oh it, it, well at first it already took a huge amount of time to go through all of these emails and uh people wrote a lot of stuff to their um to their entries which i really highly appreciate and the the entries were really interesting but in the end okay i just said okay i need to use a random number generator and choose Probably, the three yeah. designs because otherwise i don't know it, it wouldn't be fair I think doing it the, the other way around would be probably more efficient where you, where you draw three emails by chance first and yeah. then you check each of those hey is this valid is that does it does yeah. it look like it makes sense and you know if it doesn't you draw a new one yeah probably yeah you you, you are you are right this would well yes it, it would be maybe the more fair thing but um then i might not have looked at all of 
the designs that, it's that the we're sending. It's the perfectionist again, yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the giving chance a chance yeah. at times can, can be quite good because there might be a design in there that you discard because it looks weird or stupid or like it wouldn't print well yeah. or whatever, but might perform well. Yeah. So, yeah. so you've you've chosen three designs. You've chosen three hooks. I've chosen three designs tonight. I Good. just printed them out. Um, well, overnight. You getting another video out of that? Sorry. Are you getting another video out of that? Uh, maybe, but I have. To, well, I, I'm actually planning to to go over some of the designs because some are really interesting and bend the rules. And I don't know which design will actually win in the end. So that that's gonna be kind of interesting. Um, yeah, but I now really need to print those designs out and to send them to, to the Netherlands to get them tested. Um, yeah, people also hated me for, for that video, but I think it's, 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 Why though? Uh, because promoting a contest where you need to buy filament is uh, horrible. Yeah. Okay. Still just the crea creativity that I have seen from people designing different hooks with totally different ideas is something that I really enjoyed. And I'm also quite interested to see how my own design performed. I, of course, I would like that, that it wins in the end, but I'm quite sure. And I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the best engineer around and there's some way better entries in the end, but yeah, just to see how, how, how you compare. It's a competition. It's, I think it's interesting yeah. and yeah, we'll see, yeah. we'll see. Uh, but I just the totally, under s i underestimated the amount of time that it takes if you offer something like that well if you offer something like that uh, but you still need to put in all of the time to to make kind of a, a good decision in the end yeah um just a just a quick thought, thought about the the contest itself like is it isn't there like some legislation where you know you have to buy something to enter? Is isn't that like legal? Yeah, there there is. There seems to be some kind of a legislation that something like that is against the law. I don't know. I I still think it's a nice contest, and uh, yeah. just too many people and are how, bitching. How else would you do it? How else would you do a contest like that? Uh, have send in your STLs? Well, yeah. like you said, you're gonna have thousands of stls sent in yeah. that you have to then print uh send in any material uh, yeah. that doesn't make it fair either so yeah. it's it's a tough one to do right and yeah. yes having to buy their filament uh, yeah yeah well yeah it is how but, it is i'm still excited for the results and yeah i it's a cool idea for sure yeah i will be thinking twice next time before I offer something like that <laughs> because that was kind of like robbing my sleep tonight and this is probably also one of the reasons why I have kind of a headache today ah yeah. right then let's let's move on to the Q&A section for today so that you can get some rest um, question number one from Thomas A88 a friend taught me to always add small fillets to all edges of a print to make it look and feel physically more professional do you have any tricks or tips as well? I hate models that I download from Thingiverse and something like that, where you have like a fillet starting from the bottom surface. I just hate that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that that's not good design either. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you so? 
I guess tip for that is add a chamfer first and then fillet the upper edge. So yeah. you still get that 45 degree yeah. edge towards the bed, but then you have a smooth surface towards the top. Um, yeah. So um, adding small fillets everywhere, yes, might make a print look more well or might make a print feel feel nicer in the end um it depends on your style it, it can be nice but i think then it looks more like a children's toy um yeah i've i've realized that too with designing parts in different styles is Hey, you can do the, the angular, like everything is a 30 degree mm. angle and you add chamfers and you can do that or mm. you can do like the super rounded one and you can you can do that all with the same um, solid modeling tools mm. that you would use for, for either one. Um, you can definitely overdo it with fillets. Yeah. Like <laughs> you, should, you maybe should do all edges of print um, and particularly when you add like a 0.5 millimeter fillet that's the same as the nozzle produces anyways, unless it's the top corner. But if you just have the contour of a part, mm. uh, basically everything has a 0.5 or 0.4 millimeter, uh, well, a 0.2 millimeter radius, I guess, yeah. technically. But yeah, any any tricks to make a, a, a part look more professional? Line up your, your features, line up your holes. Don't have like a few holes there and then a few mm. offset, like just make it visually appealing that's that's like one of those those yeah it burns under my fingernails if you if you have to look at something where it's like nice and straight and it's just half a millimeter off <laughs> i know sometimes it doesn't work out like that but or sometimes it doesn't work out where you can do it better than that but hmm. mm. Mm. I, yeah. I unfortunately i think i'm i'm a really bad industrial designer so i don't know it, I I found it good if you're kind of writing yourself or just thinking about, okay, all of my parts that I design follow kind of the same guidelines, be it everything is filleted or everything is chamfered or I don't know, I make every hole as a hexagon. <laughs> uh, it just yeah. looks, uh, in German you would say, aus einem Guss, just just yeah just consistency consistent um and then that can already improve your well design look and feel uh, and if you're still interesting take a look at industrial design uh books or go to the moma or something like that um there are really interesting tips and tricks that can really help you to improve uh what you design yeah but i think most of all just practice Practice. I mean, it, first of all, focus on making a good part and then focus on making it look and feel professional. Yeah. Like get get the get the design philosophy right where, where your, your CAD models are structured properly and where the function is good and just just practice. Yeah. And I think at some point the, the look and feel is gonna yeah. come by itself. All right. So last question. Mr. T is asking I think um yeah, we talked about Stratasys in one of the previous podcasts before. He is asking, the real question, is Stratasys still relevant today? Um, I love mine, but is the cost worth the reliability? I, it's, 
if you go ahead i think they're not as relevant anymore as they used to be just because before they basically had a monopoly on the technology um i think they're still relevant in industrial applications especially if you're thinking about um certified processes for example for aircraft parts for railway parts and something like that where they provide the machine they provide the material they provide the process and if you use all of that you can print parts for example for aerospace applications and for railway applications and stuff like that i think in yeah. this direction they are still really strong yeah um i guess in the in, in the context of of makers and diy stuff it's like i don't even know who you are but when it comes to anything that isn't fdm like yeah for 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 fdm applications yes you're saying the uh the qualified stuff but for for print quality and for versatility i think you don't have to get a stratasys machine anymore unless mm -hmm. it's like really unless your your procurement says hey we mm -hmm. can only buy from stratasys but um well then you, you kind of screwed either way mm -hmm. but um i mean what they also do is they have um i just opened up the the, uh, the stratasys website they have the entire polyjet series yeah. which is a process that is not really available in a lower cost package they have uh true color pantone validated color prints um they probably also do metal printing right um sintering or, or slm do they wouldn't know that wouldn't know that and that's just oh, no, basically on, the end of materials they do fdm sla and polyjet so yeah. i guess i guess they don't they don't even do um slm or sls but for those sort of things yeah for FDM, yes, there's a lot of competition now, but Polyjet's, uh, Polyjet SLA and for those specialty things yeah. where it's Pantone validated colors. Yeah. Like that, that's something you're only going to get in a, I don't want to say pro level package, but in a tried and true behemoth level company product. I guess I, I'm struggling to put to put into words like what Stratus is. It's it's the old dogs of 3D mm. printing, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Is 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 that it? That's it for today. Cool. So I guess thank you all for watching and listening. Get subscribed on all the big platforms where we find your podcast. Thank you for your time, Tom. Thank you for your time, listeners. And yeah. Until next time, hopefully with uh, Gina from Octoprint. Yes, I'm, I'm excited for that. All right. And if you, if, if you want to support the podcast, Patreon below. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Bye. See ya. Bye.